Welcome to Why Though. We're your hosts, Tiffany Bloom and Ashley Abercrombie. We land somewhere in between Mother Teresa and Biggie Smalls, and we're just wondering, why though? We all have questions, from our existential crisis curiosities to our, hey girl, why your eyebrows look so good though? And we want to tackle all of those questions with you. Welcome back to Why Though, where your host Tiffany and Ashley. And if you are new or if you have been with us from the beginning, we know that today is going to be a standout day for you. We know today <laughs> is going to be just a little different. Today is not about Meghan Markle. Today is not about cheese boards. <laughs> today is not about frozen pizza. Today is about why we as women, why as we half of civilization mm-hmm. why we're not going home though we are not going home we're not going home ashley why why this language we use today why do we say we're not going home well listen there was a little episode um a situation <laughs> that happened recently where the sbc was hosting some type of panel and if you don't know church language because i wouldn't have known that either it's the southern baptist convention and they were hosting like an all-male panel given to a group of pastors male and john MacArthur. i'm sorry what being actually, given actually it was an all-male panel it sure was <laughs> Because it was the SBC. <laughs> Although they have made some strides. So listen, have, I want to give totally it up. Have. I mean, they just hosted a beautiful conference about caring well for sexual abuse victims and how to stop the pervasiveness of this in the church. So like, they're making some strides. So we're not Come here on. hating on the Southern Baptist Commission. I was raised in it. Lottie Moon forever. Like, I'm here. I get it. Um, but he was on an all-male panel. And the panelist interviewer was basically throwing out different words for people to respond to. And he threw out the name Beth Moore. And as he threw out the name Beth Moore, John MacArthur's response was, go home. And then he went on, which Tiffany will pick up for us, but he went on to insult various people groups on the earth, but mostly honed in on women and how we are not welcome at the table, that we are not able to preach. There's no no reason, no case, no nothing that women should ever be preaching and that women of color, immigrants should not be sitting at the table to help write and draft theology. So it was just one of those things where you're like, wait, what? Who do who? What? Like, what is happening right now? And so we wanted to talk about that today because we actually so value the voices of humanity. And we believe that God from the very beginning created male and female in his image. He created them in his likeness. He made them. And so we actually believe in female voices for for many obvious reasons. But we do want to talk about this. We don't want you to go home. We are deeply committed to not going home, but to rising in our calling that God gave us himself and continuing to walk this thing out no matter who thinks we should or we shouldn't. Absolutely. So well said, Ashley. And we just want to say both Ashley and I, we teach and preach regularly, not just to women, but to mixed audiences, Mm -hmm. to men and women. So we, we deeply believe that women are called to the pulpit, not just women's ministry, not just children's ministry, not just youth ministry, not just hospitality, but in places of power. Or missions. (laughs) I mean, we both did missions for a hot minute and we did. And I can see how... That could be also a place where we sequester women. So good point. Yes. And there's room for all of us. And there's so many things that we want to talk about with you today on what he said, uh, what scripture says about that. But we first just wanted you to know where we obviously stand. Now, if you've been with us for any amount of time, (laughs) if you've looked us up, you probably could have guessed where we would come from on this topic. And the reason we titled it Why We're Not Going Home is because John MacArthur didn't 
just tell Beth Moore to go home. He told women to go home. Correct. Because yes. after Good point. After the name was thrown out, Beth Moore, which, hello, people were clearly recording this. How is this not going to be all over the internet and Christian Twitter? But people are cheering, cheering before he's even given an answer. It was crazy. And then he gives his answer, go home. And there's just cheering from every angle. You know, people getting up and clapping, so excited for his answer. Taking a stand for the gospel. Taking a stand for Jesus. Taking a stand for truth. And then he proceeded to compare her to someone who has sales abilities, as in they are gifted, again, a gifting that they have to sell things and compared mm-hmm. Beth Moore to a woman who likes to sell things. And I'm then like, compared, wow. Mm-hmm. Basically, summing it up to women who are hawking stuff on the internet, like she's not a Mary Kay lady. She's one of Seriously. the greatest Bible teachers to ever walk the earth. Correct. So, And if she sold Mary Kay, we'd probably buy it just for the record, okay? <laughs> just saying. <laughs> just saying. Oh. And really making the claim that there is no reason that American culture should define who is in the pulpit. So he's come to the conclusion that culture is the reason women have opportunity. Culture and this this hunger for a feminist way is the reason women have a place. But if we go back to the Gospels, we will find that it's not feminism. Mm-hmm. That is the reason women are in the pulpit today. We'll find that it's because of Jesus. Come on. That is so powerful. I was listening to uh, one of my favorite resources about women is a book called Why Not Women by Lauren Cunningham. And mm-hmm. he wrote That's this brilliant theological account of why women are deeply connected to the heart of God, are deeply called to be of the fivefold ministry that is listed in the book of Ephesians are deeply called to have all the giftings according to how God gives them, because that's literally what scripture says, that God gives the callings. Like we, man doesn't decide that, God decides what calling is on the inside of every single believer. And so because of that, we can trust that God has our best interests in mind. And he went on to talk about what this really boils down to is two things. He talked about a spiritual attack against men, obviously against women, but he said against men, because the spiritual attack is that men think they are better than women women. And so because of that, they are swelled up with pride. And so that is a spiritual attack of the enemy. God does not send pride in order for us to operate in this work in this world, but he has this beautiful spirit of love that he compels each of us to walk in. And so he's, he's demonstrating how supremacy is the thing that is the spiritual attack here against men, that men would believe they are better than women. And therefore women are not capable to do the things that men are doing. And so I thought that was really powerful. And then the second thing he talks about is from the book of Ephesians four, I'm sorry, the book of Ephesians in chapter four. And he talks about, is there one body or is there two bodies of Christ? And so then when you read the scripture, it talks about how there isn't, there is only one body. And so he's saying, well, if, and then it goes on to give the fivefold ministry throughout this book and tells all these different things. And he's like, well, if you believe that women can't do anything, then what you are saying to God is there's two bodies. So are you saying to God, there are two bodies or is there only one body that is supposed to be united in diversity because that's where its strength lies. And so I thought that was a really powerful account. And so women are called to be shepherds. Women are called to be teachers. Women are called to be prophets and apostles and evangelists. Like women are also called and we also have a seat at the table. And then something else that occurred to me, like my, my with my book releasing at this unique time and season. So I just did a radio interview and several podcasts. And of course this topic came up, right? Because they're like, it's current events. 
what do you have to say about this? <laughs> and I remember responding on both interviews, just like, I don't actually have time, even though we're sitting here doing this, but I don't have time to worry about what John MacArthur or anybody else thinks about me and my purpose. Like he can think that I'm over here selling Mary Kay. He can think that about Beth Moore. I don't care. It's not like I'm going to stop doing what I'm supposed to be doing because according to scripture, we are allowed and not only allowed, called to do what God has gifted us to do. And so for me, it's like, I don't, I'm not slowing down for a second to give anybody any room. And maybe you're not even in the church and you're listening to this, but on your job, maybe somebody has told you, you know, women shouldn't speak up in this meeting, or you can't do this presentation, or you shouldn't lead this client meeting. Sister, yes, you can. Listen, Mm -hmm. yes, you can. We are called and we are given gifts by God that are irrevocable. And we we can do the things that we are called to do. And so I love thinking about from scripture's perspective. And I'm sorry, I'm on a tangent. But one more thing. He also talks about the difference between relative truth and absolute truth. And he talks about anytime you make a relative truth, like if you actually study the Bible in its context and understand why what was being said was being said and to whom it was being said. And then you take that relative truth that was for a time and for a purpose within the time. And then you make that an absolute truth. You become a legalist. But whenever you operate knowing that God is a God of truth and that he everywhere truth is that brings liberty and freedom. And so you can tell what's legalism and what's bringing freedom. And this conversation with the mocking of a of mother in the faith, with the mocking of immigrants, the mocking of women of color, the mocking of women in general, none of that is rooted in love and none of that is rooted in Christ. And so I think we can acknowledge that and recognize it for somebody trying to be a legalist, like you're in and you're out. And I do not think that is the heart of God. Absolutely. And I love that you responded to these interviewers saying like, it's, it's not my concern. I'm not going to waste my time, breath Mm -hmm. or energy Mm -mm. on John MacArthur or what he thinks about me and my Mm -hmm. calling. And neither did Beth Moore. She, Mm -mm. she quoted, excuse me, she responded on Twitter many days later. I think everyone was just waiting with bated breath of what she was going to say. And she just kept tweeting about what she was reading and what she was reading her devotions and her grandbabies and living her best life because she's she's seen some things this isn't the first time somebody's done this or said this about her but because it was such a prominent teacher I think we were all waiting to see what she would say and she basically said, I wasn't called by a man. I was called by God. Come like, on. And I think for all of us as women. So classy. We don't take our place. <laughs> so classy. Mm-hmm. Come on now. We don't take our place because a man gave us permission. Right. We do not take our place because a man That's gave us right. permission. We take our place because we're called and because we know our value. We know what's at stake and we're willing to go the distance. And it's a, it's a wild thing when we live in this day and age and women are still reminded that they're second, that they're subservient, that they do not have all of the opportunity that men do. And that is, that's its own thing. And that's just ridiculous. Absolutely. In the words of Tigger, ridiculous. (laughs) As my son would say, ridiculous. But where I think John MacArthur's comments got downright terrifying is when he compared women who've come forward in the Me Too movement as women who are grasping for power in the evangelical I mean, structure. I mean. Oh my God. Girl. Also as if Me Too started in the church or something. You know, it's like, what is wrong with you? Like this, I mean, it's just baffling. 
I know you have a lot of thoughts here. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep my mouth shut and you you go because no, this it's is all like, good. This, this is, is a conversation. I love it. I know, but I, I love your heart around these issues. I, I really want everybody to hear you. <laughs> um, I want to read from Charisma News. They wrote this: MacArthur argues that feminists don't actually want equality, as evidenced by most plumbers being men. In fact, when I listened to the recording, I was just shaking my head like. I'm, I've got tons of friends who could fix a toilet. I've got tons of girlfriends who could right. mess with some pipes and do some things, you know? Uh, yeah. In fact, I, I remember I was, gosh, probably in my early 20s, and there was a gal who came to Bible study, and I said, oh, what do you do? She said, oh, I'm a house flipper. And, of course, my <laughs> my thoughts were, oh, she's like an investor. She invests in these you know, houses that she's flipping. No, girlfriend's out there tearing down walls, building <laughs> things, plumbing things. And I was just like, why not? Of course you can do that. Right. Because if we haven't seen it done, we wonder, could this be possible? And I right. think that was the power of the Me Too movement is collectively, yes. like, we can do this. Not individually. Yes. That is so scary. But together, watch what happens when we raise our voice. We're indispensable. We are not yes. disposable when we yes. are allowed Anyway, he goes on to say, they want power, not equality. This is the highest location they can ascend to that power in the evangelical church and overturn what is clearly scripture. I think this is feminism gone to church. This is why we can't let the culture exegete the Bible. Mm. He then went on to criticize the SBC's resolution supporting critical race theory and intersectionality, as well as calls for more diversity in teams translating the Bible. And so as the SBC is encouraging women to sit at the table where a scripture is being interpreted, encouraging people yeah. of color and immigrants to sit at those tables. He yes. said, well, they need to have a degree in Hebrew. Why aren't we looking for Bible scholars? Why are we looking for these people? <laughs> and it was that, in, and what, he, what, what he's not saying that he's clearly saying mm-hmm. is those individuals don't have a seminary degree or maybe yep. wouldn't pursue that or just because they are black indigenous people of color doesn't mean that they're qualified well they could be the most qualified they could be the most qualified come on that's exactly right yeah it's so frustrating on multiple levels and i think that it's disturbing on multiple levels that somebody would give their life to thinking this and it reminds me of the bible story in acts 4 where um, peter and john are going before the temple and there's a, a man who's begging for alms and you know they see him and peter says to him silver and gold i do not have but all i have i give you rise in the name of jesus christ and walk and this man who has formerly been known as a beggar is now walking around and the Pharisees, and this reminds me so much of John MacArthur and maybe many of those in the room, but the Pharisees literally get so angry and they bring them into the temple courts and they are angry that a man has been healed. They are angry that a man is no longer paralyzed and they want to know what the heck, like how did this happen? How did Peter and John do this? And then there were other men who were looking and recognized the Bible says um, in the message version that they were unschooled and ordinary men who had been with Jesus. And so I think about, yes. And so I think about the power of the gospel, the power of the presence of Jesus, and then also how he came to flip those power structures on the head because he's basically saying like he's removing their power. He's saying, when people have my spirit, they can go and heal. And when people have my spirit, they can see people restored. And when people have my spirit, they don't have to have gone to a rabbi school or to seminary to know and understand the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. And so I think it reminded me of that. Like I just kept thinking, wow, God, like how 
awful for people to be stuck in this prison where they are the only ones who get to determine what's true for people, where they are the only ones who get to determine what you say, God, and what you do, God, and who gets to play. Like, what an awful prison these men are in. And in that way, I can have great compassion where I'm like, man, can you imagine thinking you're the best at everything? And can you imagine thinking that you're the only one qualified? Like, Tiff, think about the pressure that's on a person who's operating in that level of supremacy. I'm like, wow, like you really think you are the glue of the universe. And I just think it's so beautiful how Jesus comes to bust all of that open and to give his divine power to us to say, you know what, go and do as I've called you to do. And there's nothing in this world that can hinder that that if you trust and believe in me. Doesn't mean it won't be hard. Doesn't mean it won't be difficult. Doesn't mean there won't be some battles that we'll all have to face. But at the end of the day, like unschooled and ordinary people are are some of the people that God uses. And it's not that if you have a seminary degree, we don't value that. I'm like, yes, like, please teach us. We want to learn from you. But the point is that we can all be there together, that no one is disqualified from the power and the presence of God. Uh, one thing that just popped my mind, <laughs> it's just too cute to pass up. And then I want to talk about different women in the Gospels who yeah. Jesus encountered. And when they had been with Jesus, what happened and how they lived their life differently. But I yeah. remember a couple of years ago, I was off to some speaking engagement. And my son looked at me, my oldest. He must have been five at the time. And he said, Mom, can boys be preachers too? And I just was, I melted and I was like, oh, oh, it's the most precious thing. Isn't that the sweetest thing? He's yes. like, he sees his mommy going off and doing all these things and telling yeah. people about Jesus. And we always say as a family, you're sending mommy out and she's going to return. And we're together. We're telling people about Jesus wherever we go and yeah. what he's done and his power and his peace and his truth and his grace. And, yes. but his just like, wait a second, can boys do this too? And I was like, oh Yeah. Totally. Hmm. And he was like, oh, that's such good news. In fact, <laughs> in fact, maybe, and again, forgive me, listeners, forgive me. <laughs> I totally know what I do. Uh, my son for Halloween, would you like to ask me what he's going as, Ashley? Yeah, I want to know everything. He's going as a hipster megachurch pastor. Wait, what? Like with the deep <laughs> V-neck? I mean, how are we dressing him? I need to know details. Tell us you everything. Can, you could probably picture it. We're going to do, we're going to go to the oh dollar my gosh. store. Yes. And you know I haven't done this and it's like, what, October, whatever. Uh-huh. We're going to, and this airs on the 31st, so I just It's just very exciting. Find. We need photo evidence of this. Oh, there will be. We're going to pop out some glasses. So he has just big oversized glasses. And, and then he, course, has a, yes. he has a headset that he's going to wear with an amplifier on his amazing <laughs> on his belt loop. Oh, my gosh. He's got some Love. skinny jeans picked out. He's got some Vans, as you do, right? Because we're yes, all wearing Vans right now. Yes. And then he's got a gray V-neck, and then he's going to wear a waistcoat unbuttoned over that. Perfect. And then he's got a Gideon Bible. Oh, my, a Gideon Bible? It's right, too good. I mean, they only oh read the Psalms Proverbs, don't they? Those. It's so <laughs> fantastic. This is the yeah. best. Yeah. It was his idea, too. He said, either Malcolm X... Or a mega church pastor. It's too good. <laughs> All the extremes. I know, right? Gosh. I said we gonna do this. Well, he's been a he's been a teacher and or principal for the past four years. So we're breaking mm. out of the education system. Heading straight. I, love, to I mean, kind of just like a teacher in the church, except. I mean, you there know, you go. Hipster mega go. church teacher. Yeah. No more ties and. And lanyards that say Mr. Bloom. He just wears his dad's old lanyards that. all around. On, yeah. Oh my gosh. It's too cute. All right. I also want to say, I know we're about to dive into women, but I also Mm want to say like, it's important to think too, um, 
you know, like we don't think that men are our enemy. And I think sometimes oh, this is no. why men and sometimes even women that I've encountered are very afraid to have this conversation or shut it down really quickly or make decisions that are very black and white about who can do what and when and where. And I think it's because there's this fear that we can't coexist or lead together. And so we love men, you know, like I have two sons, you have two sons. We have amazing husbands who are championing women in mm-hmm. every area of their life. And I think about all the men that we're connected to, you know, I, I am part of a church where, you know, half of the pastors on staff that lead churches are women. Um, so they are like effectively the main pastor at their church campus. And so I think that's really important is that we are in this world where we know this works. And so it doesn't feel fearful to, to see women in power, to see women leading or to see women serving in the church in a way that brings meaningful influence to the body of Christ. And so I think that's kind of our lens as well, is that we actually have seen this work. We know it does. <laughs> we know when it doesn't as well, but we know it does yeah. work, that there's room for this. The creativity, the intelligence, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. vision, mm-hmm. you can't bench half the, half the church. You can't can. bench half the church. Okay, when I think of women in scripture, there's so many we could bring up, Ashley. So I'm just totally. going to do a few that have really um, been impactful in my life. And I'm sure you've heard of them. I'm sure you've heard their stories a million times. But they are worth talking about and worth celebrating. Yeah. I think first, the woman at the well, longest recorded conversation between Jesus and anybody is this woman at the well and talking about yeah. um, what was going on in her life. And when she realized who was standing before her when she realized who she was sharing the well with, she dropped her bucket and ran back and tell of, told of the man who had told everything that had been going on in her life. And she was effectively the first evangelist to go back hmm. and share of the goodness. And, and Jesus ended up going to her city and staying. And so many people found faith in Christ, found belief in Jesus because of that one woman's testimony. Yes. Her willingness to stand up and proclaim the goodness, power, and restoration of Jesus. What about you, Ashley? Who comes to mind when you think of women who walked in their power and weren't afraid to say just who Jesus was to a mixed audience even? Yes. Well, you know, even though this is an Old Testament, um, Deborah and JL come to mind. Mm. So Deborah being this powerful judge and Barack, who was like her, her first main general. And she went and told, gave him some instruction to follow. And he said, I don't want to do this unless you come with me. And she's like, fine. But if we do it this way, God's going to hand this victory over to a woman. And so he's like, okay, great. Come with me. And so they go off to war, they go off to battle. Um, and then they end up losing the main um, general that they're trying to defeat. And he runs and he ends up at JL's tent because there's formerly an alliance between JL's husband and this, and this man, um, Cicera. And so when he gets to her tent, she welcomes him in and then she totally feeds him some milk. I mean, uh, gives him some milk from her table. And then when he passes out, she literally takes a tent peg and puts it through his temple and kills him. And so I think like, man, what a powerful situation because potentially we don't know any of the details. We don't know, was she going against her husband's wishes on this alliance? Were they also starting to feel like, man, they're really oppressing our people. We need to do something. Was she thinking about the powerful Deborah and how she could partner with her to accomplish the mission, both Deborah and Barack? I don't know what the details are of that, but I'm very, very struck by that story that she was willing to risk it all in order to make sure that God's people would no longer be oppressed, that she was willing to do whatever it took and that she was willing to partner with 
with a pow- another powerful woman. And so to me, that's really beautiful. And in that spirit, I think about Elizabeth and Mary, mm-hmm. um, their beautiful friendship and partnership. And, you know, when Mary comes to visit Elizabeth and the baby in her womb begins to leap and then she just begins to cry out over Mary and she's speaking vision and she's speaking life and she's speaking worship and all this incredible encounter of them together. And you can see their friendship. You can see their partnership. You can see their decision to not be jealous of one another, but to be for one another. And she understood the magnitude of what her friend was carrying. And so I'm very struck by that story. So I think just this wonderful picture of what it means to be a woman in the world and then to also have you know, which was not easy for any of these women. It, it isn't like the times they were living in, you know, were just awesome for women. Um, right. And at the same time, you see them go, despite our circumstances, like we're in this thing together. I see you. I'm going to keep lifting you up. And I think that's a really powerful picture. That's beautiful. Now, Ashley, let's touch on the church and this mm-hmm. idea that women are taking over or that <laughs> women are making all of the decisions. And in reality, that's just not always the case. Speak to that. Yes. Well, my husband and I always talk about this and it's a hilarious thing in our household. But I mean, there's been all these books and studies that have been written about um, why men don't go to church. That's literally the title of a book. Um, And I'm not here to say that we shouldn't be learning about who's not in our faith communities and why they're not there. I think that's actually a very powerful community development exercise. So I'm not knocking that. But what I am knocking is this whole idea of like, well, men aren't here. We need to figure this out and what's going on. And the church is too feminine. And every time it gets said, I mean, there's something that it's like a steel rod that runs inside of me where I have to actually, like I can feel my body heat rise and I have to like calm myself down when it gets said in a church meeting. Cause then I laugh and I think to myself, men built this structure. Like men actually built the structure of the church where there is sort of this head person who leads out in the faith community and, you know, dominantly churches are led and function because of women. Like the key base of almost every evangelical church is female. Um, every, every Christian church is female. And so that is just the dominant base, but it makes me laugh so hard. I'm like, how can a man who built this thing talk about how the church is too feminine? How are you going to talk about what you built is too feminine? I don't even understand what's happening. Um, and so I think it's a really interesting thing um, to talk about that. I don't, I don't think that, I think if we were to f- allow the church to freely release people the way they're called to be in the church, then I think it would be really powerful. You think about all the para- the parachurch ministries that got started, right? Because there was no place for the prophets. They get they get thrown right. out of the church because you can't ask questions and you can't speak up. Or you think about the evangelists who are like, what the heck are we doing on this teaching series that's so unconnected to the, to the rest of the people's lives? Like, what are we really doing here? And they leave yeah. the church and find another place where they can exercise their gifts. And so I think it's really important for us to start acknowledging that it's not like the church is too feminine. It's just that the church for so many years has not allowed, and especially in the last 50 years, has not allowed the gifts of God to be fully present because they have centered on one gift and historically one man. And so I think if we would acknowledge that, we can recognize how deep and how wide and how beautiful the church could really be if everybody really was welcome at the table. And that's hard because it means the power structure shifts. And that's very scary for people who are in power. It also means that it's going to be messy. It also means that maybe the model has to change, that maybe what we're doing actually maybe needs to change. And so I think it's really important to have these dialogues. But um, that is like a point of contention for me always when people are like, the church is just too feminine and that's why men don't come. I'm like, are you joking? Women didn't build this. Women are connective. We gather. We get together. We want to eat. We want to talk. Like that's, (laughs) that's, I think, how women would build the church, you know? Right. 
Right. So right. it's very different. Um, and when yeah. Ashley refers to women as the base, think about that. That's a volunteer base. Correct. Those aren't the people getting paid. Those Come are on. people watching them babies. Yes. Greeting at the doors. Yes. Handing out them bulletins. Yep. Doing pastoral care making during the week. Th- yeah. Making things happen. Yeah. Not just mm-hmm. on the weekend. Making things happen. Yep. Leading prayer teams. Showing yep. up with a casserole when yes. you went through a hard day. Like they're they're the ones doing the work and yes. and keeping it all going. And so I think that that's something also to remember is these aren't even yeah. the women who are getting paid. They're doing this yes. out of calling. Yes, come out of on, calling Tiff. as as a follower of Jesus. So it's just a it's just a little silly. So we want to know why someone has a barrier between them and Christ. We want to know what's going on in their lives that would cause them to be repelled by the church. That's important. That's important. Yes. Yes. But let us be reminded that women always have a seat at the table. Yes. And sometimes we got to take it because it's not yep. going to be handed to us. Correct. Most, most times. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We have to gather together and raise our voice collectively. Yes. Because why, Ashley? Because we're not going home. We're not going home. We're, we're not, not going, home. going home, though. No. Mm-hmm. All right, listeners. It's Listener, been we're great... so glad that you joined us. <laughs> <laughs> and we hope you come back. Not yes, sure after today, but we sure hope you will. <laughs> All right. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, listeners, remember to subscribe and comment. It helps others to find the show. To learn more about Tiffany's writing, speaking, or books, visit TiffanyBloom.com. To learn more about Ashley's writing, speaking, or books, visit AshAbercrombie.org. See you next week.